You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show... We have someone who is a fresh pro. Uh, he's just gone into the pros. Uh, it's none other than Akwazi Yeboah. Um, GB Cine International has just been with the team in their recent uh, window. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to get him on because, um, well, he's turning pro during a pandemic. And when you think about the impact that the coronavirus has had on, on various different basketball players, organizations, teams, um, I think some of the people I feel I feel most strongly for are those that missed out on the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. And, and as you'll hear, that was uh, that was one of the things that, that happened to Akwazi. Um, he had a hugely successful uh, college career, first at Stony Brook, uh, before going on to Rutgers. A high major program who were doing work uh, in his uh, final season in college um, were ready to play in the, in the NCAA tournament and of course it got cancelled and, and that was his one opportunity that unfortunately uh, he missed out on and then of course had to turn pro. Um, so sort of hearing how he navigated that and you know now he's in France playing in Pro B. And how how that's all going uh, was super interesting, and someone who I really enjoy talking to because I've I've again like Josh Still, who was a recent guest, um, have followed his journey very closely over the years uh, from w- where he uh, originally sort of came onto the scene at Barking Abbey, part of the very successful squad um, that won Division One in 2015 as a essentially a group of under 19s uh, winning Division One men and won EABL titles and competed in the City of Palms Classic and the Chick-fil-A Classic uh, in the States. So yeah, super super, super cool conversation. Uh, Quasi is one of the, the greats of British Basel, super enjoyable to talk to, really good guy. Um, so I'm sure you'll get as much value as I did uh, talking to him. As always, before we get into the show, uh, please take two seconds to go and check out our Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. Don't even need to spell it out because there is a link somewhere up in the top right or left here, uh, which you can click on, uh, which there you can sign up to give us a monthly or annual contribution. Um, for us doing the work that we do, uh, we cannot do it without your support. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can support uh, us trying to grow this British basketball uh, media landscape. So please go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. As always, you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at hoopsfix. Uh, or if you prefer private interaction, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, leave a comment below. Let me know what you think about what, what Quasi had to say. Um, and yeah, I will see you all soon. Uh, here's this week's show uh, with Quasi Yabala. Quasi, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. It's been a long time. It's been it's been way too long. Like I said to you uh, before we start recording, I cannot believe that I legitimately have not seen you since uh, you went to the states, um, right. which was now five years ago. Five uh, years, yeah, that's, that's a long time. Yeah, a lot, a lot has happened in, in that time. Uh, obviously, yeah. living living the pro life now. Um, yeah. Kind of let's let's start there. Like, how, how has the transition to the to the professional game been? Like, how how are you finding it? Uh, I mean, it's cool. Uh, it was difficult at first for me, um, just finding my feet in a different country, different system, just trying to find my way into, you know, getting my spots on the court and, you know, just just playing. Like, it's, it's different, you know. It's like you're getting paid to play now and your coaches demand certain things from you. So, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole nother level. And, and the level was pretty, pretty intense, honestly. Uh, definitely wasn't expecting it to be as intense as, as it is. A uh, very physical and athletic league and everyone plays defense. So kind of reminds me a little bit of college when I was playing at uh, Rutgers. 
with the defense, yeah, defense is definitely. There's a lot of athletes in this league, so. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm finding myself again, and I'm playing, playing out myself. So, so I'm in a good place physically and mentally. Do, do you feel like um, because it has now become your job, and like you said, you're getting paid money to 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 do this? Do you feel yeah. like uh, that adds to the pressure? Like, do you feel a level of pressure that you didn't have with college basketball? At first I did, but then, um, you know, my coach is really understanding. Like He's a, he's a good guy and um, he cares about player development and stuff like that. He knows I'm young and I'm coming out of college, so he, he does a good job of uh, giving me the confidence and putting me in positions to, 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 to score and to be effective on both ends of the floor. So at first it was, but then eventually it eased a little bit and then I got comfortable within the system and within my game. The other thing, of course, is you know you're you're turning professional at a time where basketball leagues are, you know, in a bit of a state all over the world because of all this COVID yeah. stuff. Like, um, you know, what's the situation uh, in France at the moment? Like with your league, kind of how has it affected things? Um, kind of yeah, I guess compared to how, and not that you would know, but like an idea of what it would be like normally compared to kind of what you're dealing with. Uh, what's the what's the situation? Honestly, it's been difficult. Um... We came here, I came here to, to France in um, August and um, usually we have about six, seven, eight preseason games. You only ended up playing probably four, I want to say. Um, and it was just difficult because teams were cancelling games because of COVID, COVID cases. And that was just preparation games. So from, from the get-go, I knew it was going to be a tricky season and our coach definitely told us about it and he was saying we have to be professional and be prepared for anything that happens and then once the season actually started we are we were playing two games a week so a game on Tuesday and a game on Friday but um, eventually you know uh, games started getting cancelled again because or postponed because of COVID uh, other teams getting cases officials um, so it was just difficult because you couldn't really get into game rhythm and we didn't really have enough preseason games for us to you know get the chemistry and to learn to play with each other so it's definitely been an unusual preseason and beginning of the season we've only played five total games and it's December right now so it's definitely unusual and um, we also went into a lockdown so the whole of November we didn't have any games, so just been practicing. Um, luckily, our coach scheduled a couple of um, uh, practice games, so we played a couple of teams. Obviously, I went away for the national team, so it was good to to get away and get a new, you know, scenery. Because sometimes it gets a little bit uh, boring being in the same place all the time. You know, there's nothing to do because the lockdown. It's like you go to practice, come home. Honestly, when you have to leave the house. You have to fill out a form called attestation, basically to, to say why you're going out and you got to put in information like your address and your date of birth. And if you get stopped by the police and you don't have a reason, you get fined 135 euros. So it's been a little bit a little bit hectic. So yeah, not, and not the normal transition that I was expecting. Yeah, my my, uh, my sister lives in France, and when I spoke to her about the lockdown, it's like. You know, when you compare what you guys are under in terms of a lockdown compared to our UK lockdown, it's like we're not really in a lockdown here. Do you know what I mean? Um, it's much more, much more strict. And so, and so, what's the situation in terms of like the actual 
what the government is saying about elite sport and stuff. They've obviously given it a certain level of exemptions to allow you to continue to practice, but yeah. they say that games obviously will be stopped during lockdowns and then you've obviously started up again now. Is there a chance that if cases rise and they'll shut down the league again? Like, kind of what's, what are they talking about in terms of the league actually seeing the season through? Well, right now, they honestly, the league wants to finish the season uh, however way they, they can. Um, probably won't have uh, a playoff. We'll probably just have straight to quarterfinals, semifinal finals. Um, and uh, from what I heard, um, in this this month we play two games um, without without any fans, and then um, in January we play two games again. But I think after the fifteenth, don't call me on this, but I think after the fifteenth of January we uh, they're gonna allow fans, but that's all dependent on the cases of COVID and what the president says. So it's all up in the air, honestly. We're just taking it day by day, week by week, and wow. Yeah. When you were signing your your rookie deal. Uh, when you were looking at, I guess, surveying the options that were potentially available, was COVID something that impacted that thought process? Were you looking at, okay, what's the situation with lockdowns in different countries? What are the cases? Like, did that impact your decision at all? Do you think you made, like, whether or not COVID had happened, do you think you still would have ended up signing uh, in France? Um, honestly, uh, I actually had plans of, you know, trying the G League stuff and the, the, the NBA stuff, you know, but obviously... COVID made it difficult because initially we were supposed to play in that, well, my team, Iraq, was supposed to play in an NCAA tournament. That gives me more exposure and all of that. And with the with the um, quarantine and COVID happening, I missed out on opportunities to, to, to play in front of some scouts and stuff like that. So, um, honestly, my, my plan and my agent's plan for me was to go through that route, but obviously things happen and we have to adapt. So, um, we looked at my options overseas. I mean, at the same time, at the same time, while he was looking at the the G League stuff, NBA stuff, um, he was working in conjunction with overseas and Europe and stuff like that. So uh, I had options um, both ways, uh, but we decided taking the Europe route would be better for now because we really don't know what's going to happen with the G League, especially with the... Isn't the, G League, isn't the is the G League season been cancelled? Or I have, honestly, I have no idea. I, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if the actual season's been cancelled, but I think I'm pretty sure there's at least four or five teams that have said they're not going to enter their their affiliate. See, uh, the, the NBA team has said they're not going to enter the sort of their affiliate team into the into the league. Um, and then, of course, you've got this, the whole situation where you've got this team with all the the young prospects that have chosen exactly, to, yeah. to do that as well. So it's like, yeah, it's mad. There's a uh, all of these things where you know. Obviously, it's it's affected different people in different ways. But you know, when you look at your situation, you miss out on the opportunity to play an NCAA tournament, which obviously would be huge. Um, and there's no there's no getting that back. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to get a chance to run it back. Um, it's done, and yeah, you just have to adapt. But yeah, it's, that's tough, man. That is tough. Yeah. So um, at first, I wasn't really looking because of the COVID or whatever. But then eventually, I had to make a decision based on that and. People were starting to take jobs overseas and I didn't want to miss out on a good opportunity or a good situation for 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 my rookie year. I just didn't want to sit at home and not do anything, you know. So uh, eventually I had to pull the trigger and uh, the coach spoke to me. I really liked um, his, his plan and his vision. And it was close to home too, especially in a pandemic and being closer to my family. It was a... a 
was kind of important to me when making this, the decision to go to Europe. So, um, yeah, I ended up signing and I was happy with everything. Just got there right away. Honestly, signed. And then I flew there, honestly, like four days after. So, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a really quick turnaround once I decided to, you know, me and my agent decided to pull the trigger around. To, to, to talk me through this because you know I love to I love to live vicariously through all the players I interview because obviously you're just all doing things that I dreamed about doing when I was younger and never had the talent or ability to be able to do it. But um, and because it's it's so fresh in your in your in your mind, like signing that that rookie contract, like when you actually put pen to paper and it became you know you are now a professional basketball player getting paid to play basketball. Like what did that feel like? Uh, was it a big deal for you or was it a case of, all right, it's just time to get to work and it was kind of like every other thing? Like, but, you know, essentially you're, you're living the dream that, that I would assume is something that you've aspired to do since you were, you know, very young. Yeah. Uh, yeah, initially I didn't really, honestly, like I didn't think anything of it. Like I didn't think it was a big deal or whatever, but then eventually it started to sink in. I was like, wow, I'm really about to be a pro, you know, this is, I mean, I worked for this my whole, well, ever since I started playing. And yeah, it was just surreal. And I was just, I was proud of myself because I got to a point where, you know, I put in all this work, made these sacrifices and my what my family, my mom did for me and all the people that really helped along the way really paid off. So I was really grateful for, for the opportunity to, to do what I love as a job. When you talk about kind of like... Um the realities of it is there anything that's really surprised you that maybe hadn't even crossed your mind that you know all of a sudden now you're a professional basketball player you're like oh i didn't really think about the fact that it would be like this or or my life would be like this is is, is anything um kind of caught you off guard like that about pro-life well i mean everything caught me off guard because it's not a normal you know pro life that i'm living right now so i can't really say anything because it's just adapting and and living through the changes in the world right now. But the biggest thing for me is uh, obviously living by myself and having to do things for me. Obviously, I, I was independent, fairly independent in college, but obviously in college, they do a lot of things for you. So when you come out here and you have to really fend for yourself, it's difficult at first because it's, it's new territory, you know, learning new things and having to deal with things by yourself. So I think that was the biggest change for me, like, wow, I'm really, like, adulting, I'm living an adult life, you know, in an apartment by myself, like, cooking, you know, so watching what I spend, and, yeah, that that was really the biggest, and it gets it gets quite lonely, because there's so much free time, and then, honestly, you've got to think about what to do once you're done with practices and lifting and individuals, so I think that was just the biggest surprise or, or, or adjustment for me, really, so I've had to find, like, some hobbies or find things to do to kill time, you know? What are you doing with your free time? Um, well, I've been reading a book uh, called The Slight Edge. Pretty good book. It's a self-development book. Um, honestly, I watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> uh, recently, I started drawing. So that's something that I was really passionate about when I was younger, drawing. So I started that up again. But most of the time, I'm just chilling on FaceTime with friends from the US or out here and well in England so yeah like just trying to fill in space you know well, what's, what does a typical uh, sort of day in the life of a quasi Yeboa look like now like kind of run <laughs> us through like a, I guess maybe not not a game day but uh, you know a regular weekday um, kind of what, what are you doing 
Okay, so every day, um, so Monday morning, wake up around uh, 7.45, uh, like shower, get ready, eat breakfast, and go get, uh, what you call it, COVID test, PCR test at 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, and then after that, uh, we have weights at 9.30. Uh, yeah, well, we get to practice. We have to be at practice at 9.30, and then we practice at 10. So no weights. I lied about that. Um, and then, uh, so we practice for about an hour and a half, or hour, hour and a half, hour 15. And then go back home, rest, come back in the afternoon, another practice, and then call at night. Tuesday, same thing, but we have, uh, well, no PCR test, but we have lift weight session in the morning and then we practice and then come back in the afternoon for uh, individuals. And then later later that night, because I've been taking French classes, so I go to a uh, French tutor for about an hour, hour and 15, and come back, chill, watch Netflix. And that's pretty much what I do, what, what the schedule is like every day of the week yeah how's your french coming along uh c'est bon un peu <laughs> tout le jeu. i'm learning every day uh it's a little bit getting better better and better every day like being able to talk or hear people talk in practice because all my teammates who speak french or well, are french so um that kind of helps me i just pick up on little terms and stuff like that so no, it's cool. I'm actually interested in it too. Uh, I have an app called Duolingo, and in my sometimes in my free time, I just you know go on there and mess around, learn some stuff. You know. Sweet. So let's uh let's let's rewind it back um yeah. to the beginning. Uh, you know, like obviously I've done a little bit of research, spoken to a couple of people, um, dug up as many interviews as I could find uh, with you talking about various things. So I think I've got a pretty good idea of. Of, of of everything that um well your rough timeline anyway but um the thing that actually struck me which i'd never fully clocked before was that you didn't actually move to england until you were like nine years old uh yeah, yeah which i never even realized like i knew you were born in ghana but i didn't realize that you moved so late um yes. so i guess kind of you start playing a little bit later than that but kind of your your so what were your early memories like growing up uh what were you talk about your upbringing um and how did you end up coming to to the uk um, from, well, from what I can remember, I mean, born and raised in Ghana, you know, it's different lifestyle there. Didn't really play any sports. Um, it was all about study, study, studies. And I actually didn't live with my mom and dad back then. I was living with my grandma and then my aunt and aunt, uncle. So that was really my upbringing until I was nine years old. But before we would like visit our mom and dad in London, like, for some holidays so they um, lived in they lived in london yeah so they had left early when we were younger for uh, job opportunities as nurses and doctors so uh, that was an opportunity for them so they took it and um, they left us in good hands but obviously they made frequent communication with us and then they brought us over to to england to visit so that was cool um but yeah i grew up there uh i actually experienced corporal punishment so i used to get caned uh, Do you know what? It's funny you said that. I was going to ask whether or not that was true because there was, I think it's like a, it was a New York Daily Post article or something which said that like one of the biggest surprises you had when you came to England was that you could speak back to the teacher and, and not get caned. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. That I was so surprised. I was like, what? Back home, like I'm getting spanked with a cane, you know? So 
it was definitely a culture shock. Uh, so eventually we moved to, to, the, to England in 2006. I was nine, my older brother was 10, and we started going to school at Chibo Primary. Uh, it was different, honestly. Uh, we, had a, we had a strong accent. Our English wasn't that great. I mean, we, could, we understood and spoke it, but it wasn't great. And um, I remember one time in class, like, uh, so a teacher would ask us a question, and uh, I raised my hands. I got, I got picked. And I stood up to answer the question. Everyone was just looking at me like, what's this guy doing? But like that was just common in, in Ghana for you to, to stand up to, to answer a question from a teacher. So like things like that. And yeah, it was just a culture shock. But um, I, I got into sports when um, my brother uh, went to West Dutch High School and he was introduced to basketball um, in year seven because he was just bigger and taller than everyone so he started playing and obviously as a younger brother you always look up to your brother, uh, older brother older sibling so um I wanted to be like him I wanted to play blah blah, blah. so then uh once I went to West Dutch I also joined the team uh Cascahoy and John Redden they uh they were pretty tough on me uh, I was very out of shape um I couldn't really play but I, I worked extremely hard and they liked that about me and they they, they really guided me and um, honed my, you know, the basic skills in, in basketball. So West Dutch was where I really began to play basketball and, and develop my interest in it. Was it a, was it a case of like um, you just wanting to be able to play with your brother and kind of looked up to your brother like at that point or kind of from the moment you picked up after seeing your brother play, you were like, oh, you know, I really like this and this is something that I want to pursue? Yeah, it was honestly, it was at first I just wanted to do it because Kwame was doing it. But then eventually I started to get really good. And um, <laughs> I was like, wow, I could really take this somewhere if I, if I work really hard. So um, I ended up signing, um, well, you don't sign, but I ended up joining. <laughs> I ended up joining a, a National League club, London Spartans, with Coach Paul uh, McKenzie and uh, his, his coaching staff and those guys. And that was where like the real work, work started. And um, obviously started to play against guys that really play the sport because they love it and I want to do something with their staffs, teammates with the likes of uh, Moses. Moses Bayekwazo. Moses Bayekwazo, yeah. Uh, there's other guys, but I just can't remember right now. But yeah, it was, that was, that was really where I started to elevate my game to, um, joined the Essex uh, regional team, ended up getting selected for London, playing at regional tournaments. And, um, I think that was where I met Coach Gardner, Lloyd Gardner. I think, uh, yeah, he came up to me and liked what he saw at the regional tournaments and told me about playing at Barking Abbey. And, uh, yeah, obviously Barking Abbey, when you get approached by that program, you're like, wow, you must be, you must be good, you know? Um, and they have all the best players every year so um i knew going there and playing against the best players will, will make me better honestly before that i, I joined new Mosa sports academy nasa but also didn't i also read like you played for for brentwood fire as well <sighs> i think it was a brief moment that i played for brentwood so how come you ended up playing for london spartans brentwood fire and nasa because my brother was playing for brentwood fire so then I would go with him to certain practice. This 
this was a time when I was trying to trying to decide whether I was gonna play for Brentwood or Nessa. So then eventually I chose Nessa. Yeah, so um, that's what it was. I think I was practicing and training with Brentwood Fire, but I ended up playing for Nessa. And um, yeah, guys like Calvin, Jonathan James, Sydney, Adomas, there were the there were guys that were there. You know, I didn't play with Joe Junior or none of them, but it was just cool seeing them in practice. Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna ask that because there was I remember the NASA group at um at Junior Final Fours when there was Cavell, Bigby Williams, Miles Laurent Smart, obviously Kwame uh, was playing for them. But you and uh, yeah, Joe Junior, you weren't playing for that team. Or were you? No, no, no. I was okay, a, yeah, you were yeah, younger. Was, yeah, yeah. Of yeah, course. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. But still, yeah. that's, I mean, that's a, that. I mean, that group was, yeah. So that group would have been the year up when you were coming through, and like, yeah, obviously seeing. I mean, that was a super talented group. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Who who were the guys in London like? Sort of when when you look back to kind of you coming up, like, who were the guys that you were looking at being like, you know, I want to be as good as them, like, you know, that guy's the, the best or whatever. Well. Well, the old, well, in terms of like guys that my that were my age or yeah yeah just, yeah your age or a couple of years older like just you know like when you're coming up there are there are you sort I mean, of when I, go on well with my peers like I was like wow Ben Marinan, uh he could really shoot the ball he was pretty good uh, Calvin uh obviously you have a crafty point guard like him um, you also had Joe Junior I really liked his game and we we all ended up being very good friends um jonathan james quick athletic you know um josh still he was he was really good uh, at a young age so you know everyone talked about him so he was a big deal um and some of the older guys like um dwayne Arija, dwayne otel goley uh cavell you know, Rowell Graham, I used to watch all of them. Um, but yeah, this this is what I have on top of my head, but the, I'm sure there are other guys that I really, you know, looked up to. And I watched a lot of videos of like Matthew Brown and Madden, OV, um, Teddy Okafor. Yeah, a lot of guys, man. Is it is it mad now for you to be on the, the GB senior team with some of those guys? Yeah, I mean, it's surreal, you know. I grew up watching these guys and, like, looking at them like, wow, look at that. They're pros. They did this. They went through my route and they're in college and playing professionally. So it's surreal, like, actually being in the same same position as them and um, playing on the national team with them. So it's, it's cool. It's definitely, definitely a testament to, to, to hard work and just following your dreams. We'll get onto the GB senior stuff, um, but like your first uh, national team experience was with the 16s, right? Nah, it was under 15s. I played I in Copenhagen. Okay, and then and then and then you went to the European Championships the year after. 16s, yeah. When you were you, were you a year young that first year? Uh, for 16s. Um, nah, I, I was my age group. That was your age group. Okay. Um, the year that I was young was under 18, but I didn't. I ended up not going to to the European tournament. I played in Albert Schweitzer. Yeah. 
Yeah, this, this, this is what I was going to ask. Cause, so you did the 16s, and obviously you yeah. didn't play with the 18s. Kind of yeah. what happened between between there? Because, I mean, I'm trying to think back to that era. It was a little while ago now, but like, uh, obviously you ended up playing with the 20s. Um, yeah. How come you didn't end up going with, 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 with the 18s? Was that a case of you actually not being selected, or was there other reasons? So the first year, because um, I played up for, for 18s the first year. Um, did you go to the Europeans? No. I played in Abba Schweizer tournament, which was before the Europeans. I got okay. cut. Right? I got cut after Abba Schweizer tournament, like the next camp. Wow. Yeah. So it was surprising because I thought I thought I'd play pretty well at the, at the tournament too. So I mean, coaches make their their decisions, and you know, you know, you can let them coach, and you can be a player. So you know, everything happens for a reason. So I wasn't, I was like, all upset about it, but I knew that I was a year younger, so it didn't really bother me. Um, the following year, uh, that was when I was a freshman at college. Um, I think it was a year that I was actually going to play because I redshirted my first yeah, year. Yeah. Year play. So I was, get, I was going into my redshirt freshman year. So I may ask me to come down, but I, I, um, I told him that I, you know, this season is very important for me. I'm a, I'm a redshirt freshman coming in. I don't want to miss out on the summer workouts and, you know, getting to know the team, learning the plays and stuff like that. So I spoke to them and they understood. And that was the main reason why I didn't play right. that year. What point for you did it really start clicking and you thought, do you know what, like, I have a chance at a, well, a career in this sport and I think I could be, you know, pretty good? Uh, it was after, after I got picked to play at Barking Abbey, for sure. And ever since, I just, um, I was still raw, but I had a work ethic and I had a will to, to, to be be to be the best or be better than everyone, everybody else. So I think that really carried me just working, working hard every day and having people around me who were going to push me and put me in a position to be successful. So Barking Abbey was very uh, crucial in my development. You did two years of Barking Abbey, right? Yeah. Yeah. When you when you first went to Barking Abbey, your your first year there, um, kind of what your what your memories in terms of like uh, your sort of adaptation, what changed for you from a basketball standpoint uh, in terms of what you were potentially used to before. I think for a, for a lot of players in the UK at the moment, they go to an academy. All of a sudden, you've got way more contact time. You've got individuals. You know, you've got practices. You've got S and C. Um, yeah, I guess yeah, I'd be interested in kind of hearing sort of what, what your memories are of, of making that switch. Yeah, I mean, the most, it was just the most basketball I've ever played uh, since I started playing, honestly. Um, we would have individuals during the day, weights, practice, after school. And I usually used to go in early in the morning anyway to get shots up before school started. So I had a pretty long day every day. And um, yeah, the biggest thing was just being surrounded by elite players and constantly playing basketball, going to classes, and in between classes having um individuals and uh, weight session uh, yeah that that was really the biggest thing for me like how much time they put into basketball and, and the detail i've never been exposed to that so obviously that's how i got a lot better at home my skills i feel like my memory is that between the between the first and the second year like you took a massive jump like yeah. just in terms of uh 
not not just your your skills but, but also just physically developing as well i felt like when yeah. you were younger you always had a little bit of puppy fat or whatever and then you started yeah, just yeah. you know you, then like you suddenly became this man do you know what i mean like physically just uh much more imposing than you were um dropped the body fat built a lot more muscle like and and it just showed on the court as well like do you feel like that was accurate like do you feel like you kind of made a big jump between that that first and second year yeah definitely a huge jump as uh honestly it was also uh um, so I think after my first year, I got a Division Two offer from FIT for the International Technology uh, Coach Billy Mims, and um, obviously the guys were getting Division One offers and stuff like that. So I was like, I, I have to change something. I have to do something. So that was when it really clicked, and I was doing extra with Duncan. Duncan really worked close with me, and. Um, doing extra obviously before before school and after school and it was just it was just a switch for me that um changed my whole mentality and, and the way I was going to approach each day and and the work that I was going to put in and I think that was what really 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 made made the huge the huge change and the jump in my my physicality and, and in my game and also confidence because obviously when you work in a game and you do it every day you know you can do it in games and stuff like that I was going to say, how much do you think um, it helped you being around that, like that group? Like, obviously, you know, I interviewed Josh uh, Steele uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, and you know, we spoke about that that group in particular. Um, a lot of guys, you know, have what well, some some are still at college, but obviously, guys are now sort of starting to turn pro. Um, but that that group in particular is super talented, and you know, there were a number of guys that obviously went to Division One. Yeah. Do you feel like it was a case of? Uh, well, you know, they said there's that saying that you're the average of the five people that you hang around with the most, right? And so, you know, you're in a situation where you've got all your teammates, you're all striving for the same thing. You know, you yeah. see certain guys getting Division One offers, so that pushes you to go harder than you can get, and then the next guy sort of follows down the chain. Do you think being in that environment with specifically that group of teammates really pushed you more than you would have done otherwise? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm in a situation where everybody's good, so you have no choice but to come into practice and be in your A game. And on top of that, we're all... Um, looking at one goal and, and one opportunity to, to play college basketball. So, you know, we helped each other. Uh, we always spent a lot of time together in the locker room, after practices, during break, lunch, all of that. So just having guys that, you know, surrounding yourself with people that want the same thing definitely pushes you to, I guess it's a lot of attraction, honestly. So I think that, that definitely, that, that group was a great group, um, on and off the court and we did some phenomenal things that season that year and yeah of course that 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 season that second season so that was your that was your second year at BA wasn't it yeah yeah, second so, yeah that second year at BA was when obviously uh you won division one um yeah. which was big for you personally now am I right in thinking that uh the college coach who, re- who recruited you he had said he would watch you he would come and watch you play if you made the final was that was that what he said and obviously exactly. that was essentially what you did. And yeah. uh, not only did that, you obviously had a... You were the MVP, right? Were you the MVP of the finals? No, no, no. Who was the MVP of the finals? Josh? I can't remember. I think so. Huh. But I had a great game. Yeah. You... I think it was Josh or somebody. I can't remember. Okay. So you, you, had, a, you had a massive game. And, and that was actually what was... That gave you... That got you a scholarship offer as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. So yeah, recap crazy. that. Like, kind of what was your situation with your recruiting? Because as far as I'm aware, that was the only Division One offer that you had as well, right? Um, and of course, uh, Danny Carter 
from Reading, uh, who used to go to Stony Brook. He was the the one that actually put uh, Coach. How do you pronounce his name? Is it Pike Pike Peaky or Pike? Yeah, Pikeel. Pikeel. Um, yeah. Coach Pikeel, uh, onto you. Kind of yeah. Recap that that story and kind of how it ended up playing out. Yeah. So uh, my second year, um, I had I still had that one Division Two offer. Um, and I was definitely considering considering going to that school or or a JUCO. I had a bunch of JUCO offers too. So, um, but yeah, every time we played Red and Rockets, I had a great game. I always kicked that ass. So um, Lloyd, Coach Lloyd, um, talked to Danny Carr and was like, "Can you talk to your coach? Uh, this guy doesn't have obviously Division One offer and stuff like that." And he liked me because I always played well. So uh, he put in a good word. Coach Paracle got on the phone with me and um, he spoke to me. He said he likes what he sees, but he needs to see me in person and then made this deal. He was like, you know what? If you make it to the finals, I'll come down and watch you. So no pressure. So I was like, wow, we have to make the finals. So um, I think, so yeah, we, we, we went on to get to the finals, semifinals played. I didn't have a great game in the semifinals, so I was happy he wasn't there. But uh, finals, I had a great game. I think I had 21 points and like five rebounds or six rebounds, something like that. And then literally right after the game, he offered me off on the spot and then came to practice the next day, met with my family, all of that. And um, I was really like, I, I was over the moon, honestly. I I thought I was going to go to Division Two school or uh, JUCO. So when that happened, I was just, I just thank God because this is all I worked hard for and getting that dream that a lot of guys that, don't have the opportunity to play Division One, especially coming out of England, it's difficult. So it was great. And also like I sent a bunch of emails to all Division One schools, all Division Two schools, a couple of D two schools, JUCOs. So it was just the fact that everything that I put into it finally paid off and I finally got a break and an opportunity. It was just a relief and uh reassuring. Did you always maintain the faith that you could play at Division One level, even when you didn't have any Division One offers? Like, or at, did at any point did you start questioning it and thinking, actually, well, you know, I haven't got any Division One offers. Maybe, maybe I'm not good enough. Nah, I still had that because, I mean, when you see peers around you getting that, like, it's just the fact that honestly, I feel like I can do that too. If they can do it, I can do it too. And I also had a lot of support from home. My mom, my brother, they really pushed me uh, mentally. Um, so I think I always had the belief that I could play Division One level. It was just a fact. It's just the fact that no one really um, took a chance except for Coach Parko. So it was just getting getting an opportunity and opening the door. And I think that was just the biggest thing. Just being having a coach who would take the chance on me. I think that was that was the biggest thing. But I, I always knew or I had a feeling that I could play at that level. Did you ha- when 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 he offered? Uh, was there any hesitation? Was it instant yes on your part, or was there any hesitation of thinking I've done I was, well? I, I said yes. I need the paper to sign straight away. I wasn't missing out on that opportunity at all. Like yes, and it's crazy because as soon as I committed to Stony Brook, that's when other Division One schools started contacting me, like saying, "Oh, this is that." But 
it was too late. I was just, yeah. I was set to go to Stony Brook. Do you feel there is a um, a little bit of a herd mentality when it comes to recruiting and stuff? Like I was interviewing Jeremy Sohan a, a few weeks ago, talking about the rankings and stuff, like the ranking system in the states, and he was talking yeah. about how like. He, the moment he got like an, a couple of offers, like just he would suddenly shoot up, uh, and then he would get more offers, and it would become this almost like this all fake sort of uh, snowballing effect. Where actually yeah. you haven't done anything different. Um, it's just like one person gets wind that someone else is interested, and then all of a sudden everyone wants you. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. So, and now that happened in my case, a couple of other interests came in as soon as I signed. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> I guess then that came to sort of thinking about that transition uh, to the States and um, and making that move. When you made the move, uh, I've read also that you, that you said that culturally in the actual transition, it wasn't that bad. It was more of a cultural shock coming from Ghana to England. You've already done that once, right? So then going from, <laughs> going from the UK to the States was actually a little bit more comfortable than, than maybe you would have expected it to be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was pretty similar. Uh, only thing was like, People can't understand me, and um, the portion sizes were significantly different. So, I think that was just the biggest, biggest difference for me. Yeah. Did you did you put on a lot of weight in your freshman year? Uh, I actually did. Uh, I ended up. I think the most, the heaviest I was was uh, two hundred and forty pounds. I don't know what that is. And what's your normal weight? My normal weight, well, now I'm at hundred kg. So. That's like 220 pounds. Okay, so you put on 20 pounds. It's because it's like the freshman 15, isn't it? That's what freshman is. Exactly, exactly. All that food, you know, the dining hall, you get, yeah, it's just, yeah, that, I never had that much, not much food, not much food before, so, you know, I had a field day in the dining hall. You obviously ended up uh, redshirting that, that first year. Um, I kind of read that was because there was, well, essentially, there was a lot of talent in front of you, and it was a case of you would have to be fighting for your minutes. Um, and so yeah. you, you obviously spoke to whoever was around you, and you kind of made that decision. How yeah. difficult of a decision was that? Um, and like, why? Yeah, I guess in your own words, why? Why did you make that decision? Uh, yeah, it was definitely tough. Um, I came in thinking I was going to play, um, I'll at least get an opportunity to play, and um, he he was re- he was really honest with me. Uh, came up to me and was like. Yeah, there's the, the team is pretty good. These are the guys that you're going to be playing behind. And then he broke down the minutes in terms of each player, and he told me what I'll be left with. And he kind of advised me. He said, honestly, you could redshirt and, and play next year as a starter. So that kind of caught my eye. And um, honestly, he was right because the team ended up making it to the NCAA tournament and playing Kentucky in the first round of it the NCAA tournament so um it, it was um it was definitely a hard decision uh, because I wanted to play but I spoke to my family uh, a couple of friends coaches and in addition to that I had a teammate who uh, who came in as a freshman with me who I would have redshirted with so he had the same he had the same dilemma too so um we kind of did it together and that made me a little bit more confident knowing that I'm not going to be by myself going through the redshirt season but then them making the NCAA tournament, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's like, uh, you know, like it shows how good they were and that actually it would have been yeah. difficult for you to play. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm not even going to be able to take part in that in, in the same way because I'm, I'm redshirting. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, I mean, I was happy, like we won, all of that. But 
I felt I, I felt a little sting that I couldn't really play in the NCAA tournament because that's a dream, obviously, for every college basketball player. So it stung definitely that uh, I didn't play, but obviously I experienced going to the tournament, us winning the America East Championship and uh, the training, the gear, and the stuff that we got at the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, it was, it was definitely a good learning experience for me. Yeah. The other thing, we didn't speak about it um about when you were at Barking Abbey was of course you, you did the two two trips to the States, right? Uh over yeah, over Christmas, right? Yeah. So there was the City of Palms yeah. Classic and then there was the Chick fil A classic classic the year after. Yeah. Now on obviously I was there for, for both of them. On one of those uh trips we actually visited Stony Brook, didn't we? No. I'm trying to think whether you were there. Because uh, it was it was I think it was the following year you guys visited Stony Brook. When, I uh, when you Oh that's right, yeah, yeah, because yeah, you come yeah, out yeah. and said a lot so I have seen you, so I said that was the last time I would have seen you. Okay. Ah, right, right, right. Yeah, so okay. Was probably four, yeah, that was four or five years. Right, ago. okay, yeah, yeah. Because I was gonna say otherwise that would have been mad case consequences. But yeah, but that was the reason we would have gone there was because obviously you're a former yeah. Barking Abbey student who's now yeah, there and yeah. then obviously the current students could see you there. Ah, okay, yeah. makes perfect sense. But of course, like you know, I like to kind of break these things down. Like, I think, uh, you know, as a as a as someone who's lived that now for however many years, and you kind of been in the college basketball scene, I guess on some level it becomes normalised, right? But for me, still, any time I go and visit a US college program, I'm just yeah. like, this is just unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Like, the facilities, the venue, the campus, the the level of provision, the weights room, just everything is just top notch. Um, kind of, do you remember like? when you stepped onto campus, your impressions of it, the things that stuck out, and, and do you feel like over the years that did become normalised? And we'll obviously get onto Rutgers, which I would guess is probably a completely different kettle of fish when you compare it to Stony Brook. Um, yeah. But yeah, do you remember kind of those early impressions and, and, you know, when you think about where you're coming from, uh, Barking Abbey, to then, you know, uh, this this diff very different situation, uh, how the two compared and the things that stuck out? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy uh, coming to a university that is huge. Well, to me, it was huge at that time when I first got there. Um, the facilities, obviously, we have a huge weight room. We have a lovely, like a nice, nice gym um, floor, squeaky clean. You don't need to wipe your shoes or anything. The grip's amazing. Um, equipment, uniforms, you know, everything was made available for you. So I think that was just a big surprise for me and it, it was good like it was like wow like I can get this if I wanted you know but yeah it, that was definitely the biggest surprise or, or change for me do you feel like obviously now that you've you've lived pro-life a little bit do you feel like on some level uh, college sports in the states is um I guess a higher level than maybe level isn't the right word but in terms of the level of provision and the support that's around you the support system support staff uh, is higher than kind of what's available with the pros uh, honestly I think it depends on where you're at in the, pro, in the pros um, but uh, for me I'd say yeah I mean there's a lot of money in college basketball and, and honestly whatever you need you can get that within a day or, or the hour so it's different uh obviously there's levels to this and it depends on where you're at i think or the situation yeah. that you're in yeah of course yeah. so that 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 red shirt um year you're allowed to you're allowed to practice with the team uh yeah. so you're practicing with the team still you're still lifting you're obviously eating a lot putting on your freshman 15 and everything else <laughs> uh how like 
do you find that the things that you're working on, it was hard to actually know whether or not it was improving you as a player because you never really got the, the true game situation to see whether or not it transferred to until that, that second year? Did you find that difficult at all? Or do you, do you feel like you were still able to see noticeable progress in your game just from um, you know, taking part in practice every day? Uh, yeah, you, you said it. Um, definitely in practice, I noticed the difference in my game and, and my strength and my ability to, to shoot the ball and, and score. Uh, actually got to a point where uh, a coach was saying that they needed a shooter to come in the game and that was he was referring to me so um, but obviously um, it, was, it was good for my development uh, definitely saw an improvement and it wasn't an issue for me because I didn't get any game reps like I said it was a good learning experience watching was equally beneficial to me so I think that was cool so that that, that uh, your redshirt freshman season Obviously, getting onto the court, uh, it was a pretty decent season for you. Like, kind of, do you feel like you instantly noticed um, that you know this year is is paid off, and I and I can see how much better I am now that I'm actually getting to go against competition? Because then, one of the articles I dug up, you were talking about you actually did end up sort of hitting a, a sort of rookie wall, right? You had a, a little slump. Um, kind of talk about that 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 year, sort of getting on the court. Um, yeah, I mean, it was good. Uh, that summer, I had, I had a great preseason. Coaches were, were raving about me. Actually, because... Um, Here's the other thing. We, we, yeah, of course, your coach left, right? Yes. This is the other thing yeah. that we've got to talk about because, of course, this is the guy that's recruited you. It's your only Division One offer. Yeah. You've redshirted <laughs> the year with the with the sort of the promise that you're going to... Well, you're likely to start the next year. Yes. And yeah, then, of course, yeah. your coach has got this offer from Rutgers uh, and he's left. So, yeah, sorry. Let's let's start there. Talk, talk about that and kind of your reaction to that and uh, I guess how it was communicated with you. Yeah, I mean, we found out... Uh through social media so obviously it's never never too pleasant when you hear it from social media and not the source itself so um he came into the uh, locker room and he had a meeting with us and he told us he got a job and he accepted it and to be fair like anybody would accept that you know so i didn't have any hard feelings i was just gutted that i could play for a coach that um, recruited me um so then everything just happened really quickly we had a new coach come in and I was an assistant from Ohio State University, so he was a really good coach. Um, so he came in, and actually that time, I had got injured. I had surgery. So imagine, at the end of my uh, red shirt year, I got hurt, and then I got surgery. So I was now coming back from my surgery. It was a left knee uh, meniscus tear. So um, it, at the beginning, it was difficult because they didn't know what to expect from me, but they heard all these good stuff and and all of that but um, I was a little bit slow to start and then eventually I started to pick it up and they liked what they saw I had a really good preseason and it kind of ran a lot through me as a freshman so it was cool to, to for him to give me that confidence and, ha- and have that confidence in me to you know make plays when I need to and you know go through me as a freshman so it was definitely a lot that was important to me uh, but uh, I think I adapted pretty well I actually Hit the rookie wall and I ended up coming off the bench. Uh, that that stretch was difficult because I just I don't know if I didn't have any motivation or I just I just wasn't scoring. I just wasn't I just wasn't myself. So um, you had something like it was like five consecutive games where you went scoreless, right, or something like that. Yeah, it was it was brutal. It, it was tough, and then my coaches were like obviously getting on to me to to pick it up and stuff like that. So 
but did you feel like you were doing anything psychologically did you feel like did you feel like oh I feel burnt out or something like that or did you feel I feel normal but the shots just aren't dropping like kind of how were you mentally processing it it was it was a lot of things I think around that time too I had lost a family member so I think I just had a lot on my mind then too and it was just it was tough for me but um they were supportive my teammates were supportive and um yeah, obviously, guys stepped up in, in, during during the time that I, I had a son, so it was it was okay. Um, I ended up picking it up again and, and finished up the season strong. The other thing, just just uh, briefly going back to coach leaving, um, you know, in a lot of situations, we see that uh, when when a coaching staff leaves uh, a lot of the players they recruited leave as well and that's when a lot of transfers happen and stuff like that because you know they're not the ones that recruited them so players are kind of like am i wanted obviously you're in a situation where you be red you only had one division one offer anyway you've been yeah. red shirting for a year and now you've just had surgery so it's almost like even if you wanted to transfer there probably wasn't a lot of other options anyway right yeah yeah exactly i mean i didn't i never had that thought in my head anyway i was always gonna stay at stonebrook and finish my career there so um yeah, I just never had that thought at all. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so, yeah, f- uh, first year on the court, you were all-conference rookie team, right? Yeah. How did that feel to kind of get sort of get some recognition uh, within, the, within the conference for your performances? Was that a big sort of confidence booster for you? Definitely, definitely a big confidence booster. Um, going into my second year, um, I knew that obviously I had to get much better especially if you have an award or an accolade such as that, you've got to keep building it and keep getting better and better each year. So um, I was grateful for that. Um, my coaches, well, the coach Jeff Bowles and the coaching staff really put in a lot into my game and um, they gave me an opportunity to, to, to play and be myself uh, and that really paid off uh, all three seasons that, seasons that I played at Storybrooke. So that, do you feel like... Well, one of the things that uh, I think when I was doing the research for this and I look at your, your college career, yeah. like it was way better than for some reason I had it placed in my head. And not that I thought it was bad, but it was like when I actually see it all together and, you know, the amount of points that you scored, obviously the just the consistency over the course of, 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 of what, four years or whatever. Um, it's super impressive. Like, do you feel like you made tangible progress and were sort of stepping up every single year uh, and improving in your game? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like everywhere I go, I need to improve each year. And now is my goal to get better and better each year. And um, yeah, yeah, every year, like I, there's some, if there's something that I felt like I needed to work on, I worked on that in the summer. And, and the coaching staff really good at getting into the gym with me early in the morning and after practice. So um, yeah, I definitely saw progress each year that I was at Stony Brook. And my number, it showed through my numbers and, uh, and the things that I was able to do on the court. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't just numbers. It was you, you, So you were, you were all rookie team for, in, in that first year. Second year was second team all-conference. Then obviously in that, that final year at Stonybrook, you were, you were first team all-conference. Um, so it did, it did kind of show. When you, when you look back on uh, those three years, at, uh, well, sorry, four years, but three years playing uh, at Stonybrook, Kind of, what are the standout memories for you? What are your, um, I guess, proudest achievements and sort of maybe the biggest games that, that stick out in your mind? Oh, I've got to take a trip back memory lane. <laughs> uh, bear with me. I think beating South Carolina was the biggest uh, memory for me because um, that season we started off pretty, 
pretty slow. We were, I think we were 0-2 or 0-3. And, and then we had beat George Washington before the South Carolina game. And after the South Carolina game, I was like, we, we knew, wow, we can be really good. And after that point, we went into every game thinking we were going to win. So I think that that was my last season, yep. Yeah. Um, that was that was a, a great season for me personally, although we lost in the first round of playoffs. I think we achieved a lot of things and did a lot of things that was pretty big beating South Carolina. I had a big game against them too. So I think that was a, probably the biggest memory for me, uh, having a group of guys that we just thought, and whenever we step on the court, we we're going to win and, and beat teams. So uh, another, another memory for me was my career high in 30 points. That was my sophomore year, though, uh, my second year playing. Um, yeah, that was a big game for me, too. It was just, it was weird. I don't, not weird, but I didn't think I could do that, score that many points. So it was definitely another confidence booster for me to, to, to you know, go into every game with that mentality that I can score, I can do whatever I've got to do on the court to help the team win. Were you thinking um, from the moment you stepped onto campus that you had a shot at being a professional basketball player? Or did it sort of start becoming more of a reality, you know, as you were picking up the awards, as the numbers were getting better, as your consistency was improving? Like, kind of, I guess, at what point did it become, I'm now pursuing a professional career in this game? Like, obviously not when it switches to being a professional career, but you're actually thinking, I can do this. Uh, as soon as I got to college, I mean, I knew that, Ever since I started playing, my goal was to be professional. So um, I, I always knew that I was going to be a professional basketball player um, and I was going to use college and uh, get an education first, but also pursue that um, professional career. And this is the other thing about redshirting, right, is that you can get your undergraduate degree and then you've got a year of eligibility where obviously if you're good enough and someone wants you, you can then get a master's as well. Did that factor into your decision? Like, had you thought about that uh, when you made the decision to redshirt or was it just a sort of a happy coincidence? It was a happy coincidence. Honestly, I had no idea about grad transfers or none of that. Like, my, in my head, I was going to finish my career at Stony Brook and, yeah, and it just happened to be that I had the opportunity to transfer, so. Had, had, co had coach said, because obviously when he left to go to Rutgers, uh, had he even made, made a point that that could have be a possibility when you finished at Stony Brook? Nope, he didn't say anything, because, you know, that's like tampering or whatever. Okay. They were in college, so no, he never said, he never mentioned a word or anything like that. So at what point did you start thinking, I'm going to do another year and, to be a grad transfer before I turn pro? It was actually the, the end of the season. Really? Uh, yeah, end of the season. I never thought I was going to transfer. I mean, uh, I was with a good coaching staff. And honestly, after that last year too, I coached that, coached that season left. Oh, really? <laughs> Our head coach, yeah. He got a job, head coach, another job at Ohio. His alma mater. So there's just so much going on, honestly, in, in my years at Stony Brook. But yeah, I definitely never thought I was going to transfer or anything, but it got to the point where um, I was given an opportunity and, and, and I took it. Did you remember that conversation, like the call or whatever, saying, you know, we've got a spot, you can come here, you can get your Masters and obviously do, a, do, a, do another year of playing? Uh, so before all of that, I had to put my name in a transfer portal and 
as soon as I put my name in there, I had a bunch of, like, this is the most I've been on the phone. Like, I had people calling me, texting me, emailing, DMing me on Instagram, uh, messaging me on Facebook, Twitter followers. Like, it was it was a lot. So, um, I obviously, I'd never been through this recruiting process, so it was overwhelming for sure. Um, but also quite nice and, and vindicating on that level, yeah. right? Definitely, you know, that guy, people, like, big programs want you and stuff like that, so... Yeah, it was definitely a call to go through that uh, recruitment process. I didn't really have that coming out of Barking Abbey. So it was cool. Um, I ended up setting up uh, three visits. So I went to SMU, which is in Texas, uh, TCU, also in Texas. And then right, this was my third visit. I was supposed to go on a visit to Clemson and Marquette, but... The visits are tiring, honestly. They have you on a schedule and it gets, it's a lot. So, I mean, after the Rutgers visit, I had, I was done. I was ready to, to sign somewhere. So, Surely, like, you always knew that Rutgers was going to be the most likely because of your relationship with the coach who initially had recruited you. And surely he must have felt pretty confident about that. Yeah, no doubt. But, um, I really liked SMU too, I'll be honest. If, if I didn't go to Rutgers, I would have went to SMU. But uh, that, that uh, relationship that I had with Coach Paco and his previous coaching staff, so um, him and, um, yeah, the rest of the guys that were on the staff, it was just, I just knew that he knew what he was getting and I knew what I was going to get if I went to that school. So um, I liked his, uh, his vision for the, for the team and he brought in guys that he thought were going to, have the right character and the work ethic to, to, and the talent to get us to where we want to get to, which is the NCAA tournament. So it was very appealing to me. And on top of that, they brought in my mom and my brother on the visit. So they got to experience it all with me. So it was just, it was huge for me. It was huge for me. So you're one of the few players that has, you know, played significant minutes at both mid-major and, and high-major level. Uh, when you talk about the differences, do you feel like, the differences are as big as everyone makes them out to be. You know, for you personally, obviously, the transition, you made it look relatively all right. Do you know what I mean? Like, you did well. Um, like, kind of, yeah, what are the, when you sort of look at the contrast between the two, like, what would you say the biggest difference is? Uh, definitely the physicality and the size and athleticism. Um, guys there are huge and, you know, play both ends of the floor. And then uh, I'm playing in the Big Ten, so there are a lot of, NBA prospects so every night is a battle every game that we play is a battle you're not getting any breaks so I think that was just the biggest uh, difference because some games uh, eh, eh, that I played in America East there some games that you know you could play uh, an average game but still come up, come along with a win in, in, in the Big Ten you had to be on your A game because every team was good and they, they could win so yeah I think that was the biggest biggest change for me did you play against anyone that particularly just you kind of had a welcome to the Big Ten moment where they just torched you and you couldn't do anything to stop them? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, a big man from... Uh, I didn't guard him, but obviously it was team effort to, to try and guard him. But a big man from uh, uh, Iowa, where Joshua Mandeli is, uh, he... He's a tough player. Like we had double, triple teams of him. He was still scoring. So um, yeah, I think that was the biggest like wow for me. Who who was the best player that you personally guarded? I 
personally guarded. Um, in general, in college or in my year at Rutgers? Uh, well, let's say both. Whoever's the best. If it, it might not be at Rutgers. It might be. It might yeah, be. I'll say, I'll say Miles Bridges. Okay. When I was at Stony Brook, we played against uh, Michigan State. Wow. I was Bridges. Uh, how did how did that go? <laughs> he had like five dunks against us. <laughs> nah, he he's a special talent. And uh, but I, I had a great game against them too. So um, it, it went both ways, honestly. When you you know, I, I feel like there's so much to be said for um, you know, seeing NBA talent up close. You know, and obviously in, in your in your case, actually playing against it. You know, when when you uh, when you play against someone like that, and or you play against guys that go into the league. And obviously, you, you've personally had a, had a good game or, or whatever. Like, does it make it more attainable to you in your head? Do you think, well, actually, like, I feel like I might be able to do this. Like, if he can do it, then I can do it. Um, yeah. Kind of, yeah. I'd be interested to hear your thought process around it. Yeah, definitely. If you you obviously feel confident if you outplay or or you match somebody who's going to the NBA game, you know, uh, definitely gives you confidence and it gets people talking. So, uh, definitely. I think that has something to do with the question you just asked. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that 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 um that season at Rutgers, of course, it, you know, ultimately it was uh, cut short by by COVID. But you know, outside of that, um, kind of when you look at the year that you had and the the year that the team had, like how how would you assess it? And um, yeah, how do you think it, it went for you personally? Uh. We had a great season, honestly. Uh, exceeded all expectations. Uh, people, we were picked to finish twelfth uh, out of, I think, fourteen or fifteen teams. So that was a staple for Coach Piper. He put it in a, in the locker room. They picked us to finish twelfth. Picked us to finish twelfth. So he constantly reminded us. And um, yeah, we we uh, we were we had the longest win streak on. Um, on our home court, I think we went, we finished with uh, 21 wins and one losses at home, I want to say. I think, if I'm not wrong. But um, yeah, it was a big season. Uh, had some big games, played play some big teams at, at one. Personally, um, I think I had a, a decent year. I felt like towards the end of the season, I was starting to play my best basketball and my numbers were certainly going to look much better if we were able to uh, finish the season but um, yeah personally I have no problem I mean I, I got the opportunity to play on the wing because uh, a lot a lot of the times at Stonebrook I was a stretch four like a tweener people didn't really know what position I was I could do a bit of I could play inside play outside so um, going to Rutgers playing against obviously bigger guys I, they had to put me on the wing um, but I played before sometimes but I was a lot on the wing, so I was able to hone a lot of my perimeter skills there at Rutgers. Um, but yeah, it was great season. The fans were amazing. Um, everything was just on another level. The experience, how we flew to games. Um, yeah, I was going to say when you when you compare the off court stuff uh, in comparison to to what you were used to at Stony Brook, like how how much of a step up was it? Like. The first thing for me was when I got to the locker room and I had like six pairs of shoes already. Like that's when I knew, all right, this is a whole another level. Like honestly, 
facilities. We have a practice facility and we have our, uh, our gym that we play our games in. Uh, have a huge weight room just for the for the team. The fans are crazy. Uh, how, how many fans were you playing in, in front of at home? Honestly, I don't know the number, but it was... Because our gym was quite small and packed, so it made it seem like it was really loud, but it wasn't. It wasn't a lot, but it was pretty. It was a good amount. I'm not, I don't know the exact number, but it was a good amount. Um, yeah, it was just a whole other level of experience. And like, like I said, we were supposed to. We had a season that was gonna get us into the NCAA tournament, so it just sucked that I had another chance to play the NCAA tournament, and that's been taken away. So, because that's that's the thing, right? So your other three years are. Uh... So your redshirt, your redshirt year, you made the tournament. Then the three years that you were playing at Stony Brook, you didn't make the tournament. And then, of course, then your year at Rutgers, uh, you obviously made the tournament, and then it was cancelled. Oh, and we were ranked too. I forgot to say that we got ranked in the top twenty-five. Wow. Yeah. So. What do you think? Do you, do you think anything changes if if you are ranked? I was actually looking at um, obviously Josh Ogundeli at Iowa. They're they're actually ranked third at the moment. They obviously they beat yeah. UNC last night. But do you do you think things uh, change? Uh, for you as a program when you're nationally ranked in terms of other teams coming at you getting the best of everyone like kind of what do you think changes around uh, the environment of the program no doubt you have a target in your back as soon as you're ranked so everyone's trying to give you that best shot um, it's like a Super Bowl game for, for some of the smaller teams that you play against so to, just to prove to themselves to prove to everyone that you're better than them or whatever so um, we definitely it was definitely a target on our backs being, being ranked but it also helps the program too because it makes it more respected and um, everyone just, you know, loves and appreciates you more, you know, when you're ranked and doing all the good stuff. And the other thing, so in amongst, I'm trying to work out the years here. So it was 2019-20 um, that, that, that obviously you're at Rutgers, but it was, was it 2017 that you represented with the under-20s and you made the All-Star 5 when you got promotion? Yeah, under-20s, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Do, do you feel like that that national team experience um, helped with your development of your game? Definitely, definitely. Uh, Why? Just because I, you know, played with a bunch of guys that I grew up with and uh, we had a great coaching staff who put me in situations to be successful against the teams and obviously helping the team gain promotion gives you confidence in your, yourself. Uh, so I think Confidence-wise, that was what really it really put me at another level in my game. So it was big being recognised as a All Star Five to you know builds boosts confidence for sure. When you talk about the trans uh, the translation of uh, sort of uh, the the international game to to college basketball, do you feel like that gives you a benefit? Like kind of having knowledge of of how the game is played internationally in you know at the European Championships, you know when you go back to your college program and you play college basketball, do you feel like it gives you any type of edge because of I don't know maybe different schemes and sets that you see or, or different ways the games are played that uh, maybe most players in college do not get to experience? Um, yeah, definitely. Just the tactical part of uh, European basketball, you know, very methodic, and um, yeah, there's a lot of time that's put into like playing the right way, making the extra reads and offense and the passing. So uh, I think that definitely gives me a little slight edge. But at the end of the day, you got to play basketball. So I just go in and do what i got to do. Makes sense. When it came to um, turning pro and finding an agent and stuff, like how, how, how did you make that decision um, 
I guess, you know, I've heard stories from other players where as their senior season starts coming to an end, you start getting messages from various different agencies and people trying to hit you up and sign you. Like, um, how was it for you and how did you kind of make the decision to, to sign with, with who, who you did sign with? Yeah, I had uh, yeah, some tours at the end of my season. Uh, the guys that were coming to games, agents, um, uh, the guys that I've been been in contact since um, my my Stony Brook days, who sort of made an introduction or whatever. Um, but uh, ultimately, I just yeah, I had a lot of phone interviews with um, agents with uh, my coaches on the phone at the same time as some of my family or my brother, because, you know, it was about basketball. So um, it was just talking with guys and stuff like that. And um, I think Coach Lloyd, someone, an agent reached out to Coach Lloyd and um, he put me in touch with this agent and said some good stuff about him. And on top of that, um, one of my one of the guys on the coaching staff at Rutgers had, uh, had experience with him. So... Um, he said all the things about him and he gave me the confidence because he has connections both in Europe and on, on the NBA side. So um, that was very important for me, having someone who can work on both, both sides of the spectrum. So I think I ended up signing with him. He's a young guy and uh, he has a good track record and he gets guys jobs. So ultimately, I needed a job and he, I knew he would work hard for me and, and, and he was a good guy. So when you talk about kind of uh, the the approach that you're taking to your rookie year, um, you know, are you very much, have you still got sort of one eye in the back of your head looking at, at the States and trying to make a return, whether it's, you know, into the G League or workouts or whatever, NBA Summer League next year, I don't know, whatever it might be. And kind of seeing this year as a sort of stepping stone to kind of, you know, get get numbers, like prove that you, you're a pro and that you can produce it at the level um, and then ideally be able to sort of use that piece on your resume to then take a, a step up next year. Yeah, definitely. Just taking it day by day, trying to improve in certain areas and, uh, just getting better and using this as an opportunity and as a step to, to to get to a high level and 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 show that I can I can play. So you, you kind of touch on everything and um, yeah, I do have obviously my eyes set on trying to get make a return to the states or whatnot. But it is what it is. Honestly, like I'm just gonna keep working and whatever opportunity I get at a high level, I'll take it and and make the most of it. The other thing that we've you know, seen over the last few years is, of course, a number of uh, GB guys, British players, coming back and playing in the BBL. Um, you know, were you approached by? Were you? Did you have any offers from from any BBL teams? Uh, is that on your radar at all? Had you thought about it at all? Would you consider it at all? Or do you think that there still needs to be some work to be done, or obviously the money needs to be up before uh, that's a that's a move that you can make? Yeah, first of all, I think it was cool to see some guys from college or, or who played in Europe come back and play in the BBL. I think that's something I'll I'll probably do towards the end of my well, the end of my career. You know, um, probably go home and be with family and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think. Sorry, can you repeat the question again? I, well, just just whether or not it's something that's like on your. Did you have any offer? Do you have any offers from the BBL ah, yeah, out of college? I, I, I think I had two teams that approached me um, in the BBL. 
And um, yeah, obviously made an introduction and said if I was ever interested in playing domestically, I should let them know. And yeah, so. And it is was- it a case of, like, I was listening to an interview with. Um- with Miles Hesson recently, and he was just basically saying that, you know, the money is is just not enough. I can earn, you know, pretty much double what I can earn in in the BBL uh, in France or, or wherever it might be. Like, um, yeah. is that is that essentially what it comes down to? Um, honestly, I don't know much about the the how much they get paid or whatnot, but um, obviously it is a job at the end of the day. So uh, it depend all depends on the situation, really. Yeah. Okay, fair, fair enough. Um, okay, so before we, I'm aware of time here, so let's uh, start to wrap it up. But just got some more quick fire questions uh, to fire your way uh, that I always like to finish with. Starting uh, with the best British junior player that you've ever seen or played against, played with, whichever one. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of guys, man. Ah. Uh... There's, there's a number of guys, honestly. It's a hot. It's you a you hot, can give me man. give me a couple of names if you don't want to pick one. Uh, I remember Luke Nelson was one of them. Killer. Definitely. Yeah. Killer. Uh, Have you been seeing what Cam Hildreth has been doing this season? Yeah, he's been torching the, the NBL uh, league. Crazy. He's a cool guy, too. I was going yeah, to say, how, how did you find him at, um, at GB Camp? Like, what did you think about him as a talent? Yeah. He's a cool guy. Um, obviously, can really score the ball. Uh, yeah, very talented guy. He has a bright future for sure. For sure, very confident guy in his game. Very confident. <laughs> Got to have yeah. that right. Um, yeah. Okay, so Luke, Luke Nelson. Uh, was there anyone else you wanted to mention? Uh, yeah, Nelson, Justell, junior basketball making waves. Um, Joe Junior was making waves junior basketball, but yeah, probably the, I'll say the best. I, I'll say was probably Luke Nelson. Uh, favorite coach you've played for in England? Nah, just in your career. Oh, that's a hard one. That's a difficult one. I have a. That's that's a difficult question. <laughs> Um, if I was to ask in England, I think I know who you'd say. Yeah, Lloyd Garner for sure. Yeah. Anyway. What, what do you What do you think is good about Lloyd as a coach? Uh, he's just good at putting people in situations to be good, and he knows how to put teams together and for them to work. Um, yeah, he's just he he's a basketball mind, and he's very tactical and technical guy. Makes sense. Uh, what's your favorite basketball memory? Favorite basketball memory. Um, yeah, winning the NBL Division One and getting an offer to play Division One in college. Yeah, that's, that's pretty pretty decent one. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, I guess finally to wrap up on the future. Let's say next three to five years, uh, where do you want to be? Uh, what do you want to be doing? Just playing basketball at the highest level, um, whether it's in Europe or in, uh, in the US, wherever. Honestly, just want to play basketball and play at the highest level and just enjoy life, you know? 
<laughs> I think it makes perfect sense. That's an awesome place to leave it. Quasi, yeah. thank you so much uh, for taking the time. It's much appreciated. I wish you all the best uh, with this season. And hopefully, uh, our paths will cross soon in person, uh, maybe next summer at some point or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wish you all the best. And thank you again for, for taking the time. Definitely. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Take care. Psst. Hey, podcast listener. But you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now, uh, open up your podcast player, go to the Hoops Fix podcast, you'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.